Ever since we got Xfinity Mobile, the whole family now has the fastest mobile service. Back in my day, we didn't have it nearly as good. Oh yeah? Back in my day, you couldn't even stream outside the house. I, I don't like to think about it. Switch to Xfinity Mobile, the fastest mobile service with 5G and millions of Wi-Fi hotspots. Get the best price for two unlimited lines with 5G compared to the lowest price plans of the top three carriers. Just $30 a line per month. Visit Xfinity.com slash fastest mobile to learn more. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Unlimited Intro Service and Xfinity Internet Require. Taxes and fees extra. Reduce fees after 20 gigabytes of usage. Data thresholds may vary. I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain it to me. I'm no, not you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an no. illegal thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble. And I know it. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Who do we have tonight? I, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? The. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, call 988. 988 provides free, confidential, compassionate support 24 7 in your phone's local area code. You are not alone in crisis. There is hope. These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. Many times in this podcast, I talk about a first or a one-of-a-kind occurrence. And the truth is, there are a lot of similarities between all of the predators I've caught. But this, this one predator... He really sticks out in a very unique way. He did something that I can honestly tell you no one out of the hundreds of predators I've caught has done before. This guy, John France, actually had prepared what came to be known as an alibi letter. And I'll get into details in a moment. John France surfaced in our investigation in Greenville, Ohio, Dark County, Ohio. And we had already done predator investigations outside of New York in Long Island, Washington, D.C., heard in Virginia, and Riverside County, California. So we decided to go to a smaller town. And if you'll remember, we had a beautiful home tucked away in the country, and it was owned by a contractor. Big house beautifully built, but it was pretty far out there. And in the course of the Ohio investigation, we worked with the Dark County Sheriff's Department, perverted justice, 
I actually had to be deputized the online watchdog group, the decoys, the contributors, so these cases could be successfully prosecuted. That was a call by the prosecutor and the sheriff. A very professional department, especially for a small department. But somehow, along the way, word got out locally about the investigation. We had people coming from Cincinnati, from Dayton. You'll recall we had a teacher, we had a military base analyst, and a whole cast of characters. But we actually, on the Saturday of this particular investigation, we went nine hours without a visitor, without a predator showing up. Nine hours. And that was something we had never experienced before. Now, in any kind of law enforcement investigation or in any kind of a journalistic investigation, you learn early on that there are hours of boredom punctuated by seconds of action. And I've seen it over and over again in my 40-year career. We see it now in all kinds of different investigations that we're doing for True Blue, the new crime streaming network that premieres in November. But this was, well, frustrating to us. You know, you're in this house, all cooped up with the crew, producer, associate producer, camera, sound, engineers, law enforcement's nearby set up, and you get rangy. You can only eat, you know, snacks for so long. We had food catered in. We usually do these situations when we're in a lockdown. But nine hours. And John France had actually chatted with the perverted justice decoy the previous day. And he was very wary. And I'll get into some transcripts here in a second. In fact, the perverted justice decoy, the contributor who worked on this particular case, really didn't think that France was going to show up. He went by the screen name Net Buckeye. And he was talking to a girl whose screen name was Cheeky Girl. And she made it very clear that she was only 14 years old. And he acknowledges this in the chat. And just to set the stage here, there had been a number of law enforcement predator-like investigations in Xenia, Ohio. So he brings up Xenia, a town in another part of Ohio, a couple of times in the chat. But let me read to you what this particular contributor said a few years ago. John France was certain I was a cop. He told me so right away the first night he approached me online. In fact, he scoffed at me and asked me what department I was with. So we had a brief chat about Greenville and basketball, and he went on his way. I thought I'd never hear from him again, but I was wrong. He approached me the very next day once again, and this time he made his intentions crystal clear. Within hours, he was on his way to a sexual liaison with a 14-year-old girl while her parents were away. Yes, that's how easily it can happen to your child. And that's the important thing to remember here as we go through this. John talked to me for a long time that night. And if you'll remember, in the Ohio Sting, we were set up in a walkout basement. So the guy had to pull into the driveway, walk around to the back of the house, and come into the basement. Finished basement. There was a bar there, very nicely decorated. 
And so France, like so many others, walked in to meet me. But not before this chat I lined with a decoy. He starts out, Hola, are you really 14? Cheeky girl says, hi, yeah. No way, he says, you look older. Why you say that? Thanks, I guess. It's not a bad thing, he says, except you probably get hit on by older guys. Yeah, some, but I don't mind. How old are you, she asks. Um, LOL, LOL, um, exactly. I'm just talking. So now he's, he's defending himself, really, before he does anything wrong. Really, I don't mind if you're older, so just say. I'm 33, he says. That's cool. Guys my age are dorks. And this is what the decoys traditionally say to, you know, have an open mind. Now, they never make the first contact, as you probably know, and they never raise sex initially. That's got to be the uh, action of the potential predator. And right away, he says, which department are you with? Huh? Greenville, he asks, knowing that we're set up there. Department, she asks. Police? LOL, you think I'm a cop, she says. I'd be stupid not to. So he already knows that police are doing these things. So the question is, why is he even engaging in this conversation? And we'll get deeper into that in a minute. I can't believe the idiots who keep trying that shit, he says. Yeah, the cops are hiring 14-year-olds now. She's being a smartass. No, they pose as 14-year-olds. Who does? Cops, she asks. Cops everywhere, he says. Heck yeah. I never met no cops here, she says. It's in the news every other week. Of course they're not going to tell you. Then how you know? He says, besides, they're looking to bust pervs. Not you. I hear about it on the news, he says. Xenia cops do it all the damn time. Now, he never specifically references me or to catch a predator, as we see at some of these transcripts. But he knows that the cops are out there doing this. She says, never been to Xenia. Just checking, LOL, he says. I'm in West Milton. Since you asked, where's that? Hmm, he says. Do you get out of Greenville much? It's like 20 to 25 minutes away, so he's, you know, a half-hour drive from our sting house. Yeah, I've heard of it, just not sure where it is. And then there's more talk about Greenville being Hicksville, and it is out in the country. The house is across the street from farmland. He talks about how mature she is and how she can hold a conversation. Now, all of this is going to belie what he later uses as a series of excuses with me. You really are naughty, he says. Yeah, I like it. Do you have a boyfriend? Now, we broke up a couple weeks ago. I wasn't thinking about having a girlfriend when I was 14. Really, she says? I don't think so. What grade are you in? Eight. Interesting. You have a 35-year-old on your MySpace friends. Not everybody I know has girlfriend-boyfriend, but I'd say most. Yeah, he's kind of a cool dude. So he's already gone through her profile on MySpace to see that she's got a friend who's 35. You met him? Not yet. Going to? Maybe. 
He lives a ways away, but was thinking of stopping over sometime. So you like older guys? Guys my age are dorks. Well, yeah, I agree. And then she asks again how old he is. He confirms 33. He sends a picture. A small one. Cool, she says. You're a lot cuter than the other guy. LOL, thanks. People say I look better in person, too. I guess that's good. Most people do, she says. You're cute in the pics, he says to her. Thanks. You're welcome. But I gotta get better ones. That's terrible lipstick I was wearing. We have pictures of a young girl that we use in these investigations. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. And now he's going to start the grooming process. You're beautiful without any makeup. Ha ha. That's what you think. I can tell. You have good features, he says. Thanks, but I'm fugly without at least a little makeup. Every girl thinks that. It makes you feel more attractive. That's the important thing. Well, maybe. But some more true than others, she says. A girlfriend of mine looks hot with none at all. But I gotta have a little at least. Okay, he says. So what's your name? Erica, she says. Yours? John. Hi, Erica. Nice to meet you. And then there's more talk about what they're up to that particular night. He asks, are your parents divorced? Divorced and remarried, she says. He sends another picture. She says, wow, you're hot, dude. Thanks. She says that her parents are gone till Sunday night. That's convenient, he says. And then he brings up the subject again about her perhaps being a cop. She jokes, guys always like hot chicks with guns and badges, you know. I think it might be more about handcuffs, he says. LOL, you got cops on the brain, dude. I'm just playing. So he's going to run this as far as he can until he can figure out that it's safe to come over, or at least he thinks it'll be safe to come over. She mentions that she's been staying alone by herself on and off for a couple of years, that her parents are now in Chicago. Some conference of my dad's, they both went to, like, have a romantic weekend or something. Her dad and the stepmother. Ah, how nice, he says. Back to the boyfriend subject, but you don't have a boyfriend. No, sucks for you then, he says, lol. No kidding. Well, I wouldn't mind hanging out. They talk about times for a visit. I just need to get ready, then I can come, he says. So he's very careful in the transcripts. She asks what she should expect. I like to know how it will end too, but life sucks, lol. She talks about how she's going to be dressed when he comes over. Maybe wear a little perfume. Make popcorn. She talks about having a friend over for a little bit. They swap phone numbers. He says, you better get ready. Come on, a little hint of what you'd like, she asks. I'd rather do it than talk about it. Like you said, not into cyber at all, he says. Now, again, he's being very careful about what he says in the transcripts. Knowing that if this is a police investigation, it could all be used against him in court. So the conversation online ends. She asks what kind of car he'd be driving. Silver Nissan Pathfinder, he says. 
They confirm eight o'clock. Smiley face, smiley face. Hi, Erica, he says. So now we still don't know whether he's actually going to show up. And especially, you know, in the context of this particular investigation where we've gone nine hours on a Saturday without a visitor. But there is a phone call. And he gets a little more detailed about his desires. In the phone call, there's talk of what she should wear and if John is going to help her pick out a wardrobe. He's cagey, but ultimately he asks, and you'll hear this now in the recorded conversation, what she looks best in. I'm trying to pick out my clothes. I pick out what I'm going to wear. Right. Uh, are you going to help me? <laughs> well, what? You need me to help get dressed? I'll try. All you, all you have to do is say, like, yeah, I like that, or no, I think that's going to be ugly. Do you like, like, low-rise pants or what? Sure. Pants are good. Well, I mean, I've got, like, regular ones, like, and then khaki ones, and then I've got, like, the low-rise jeans. Um, what do you think is best? I'm asking you. (laughs) Come on. And then on a Saturday evening in Greenville, Ohio, he pulls up. Do we have a transcript on Buckeye yet? Dale's running it it over to you right now. That Buckeye is inbound. We scramble to get the transcripts to me and to law enforcement. And he comes to the back door. Dell, posing as a little girl, stays back but invites him in. And he wants, and I'll play this for you here, he wants her to come to the door. He wants to have this conversation. Hello? Hey, come on in. I just gotta go get my coat off, okay? Uh, why don't you just come sit out? down at the bar for a second. I'll why don't you come out here? Hey, come out here for a second. Now he's trying to control the situation. Come here for a second. And I don't know when I come out whether he's going to bolt because he still isn't all the way into the door. He's standing in the doorway. But when I show myself, and I tell him, come here, why don't you have a seat right over there? He does exactly what I ask. He's very compliant. Why don't you come on in and uh, have a seat real quick? Okay. Take your hands out of your pockets for me. Please go ahead and come on in and have a seat on this moment. Everybody hold. Everybody hold. At this moment, you know, the Dark High Sheriff's detectives are getting into position, getting ready for him to leave after I've finished the interview. And how old are you? I'm 33. 33. And what were you doing coming over here to meet a 14-year-old girl? Now, he is shockingly very calm in this interview, John Francis, Nick Buckeye. He's given this more thought than I could ever imagine and probably more than any other predator I've caught. And he sits there calmly maybe 30 minutes and tells me his story. He admits 
it's embarrassing. It's inappropriate. It's wrong for a 33-year-old to come visit a 14-year-old, much less talk to a 14-year-old online. Honestly, um, I did not believe that that's who she said she was. I thought it was uh, probably a guy trying to mess with me. What made you decide to come do this? I mean, help me out. Help me understand it. You know, before I left, I I was sitting there thinking to myself, you know, this is not the right thing to do. I knew it wasn't. I I mean, just from uh, the standpoint of I'm 33 and she's claiming to be 14. I mean, that's just, you know, and... I don't know. I don't. I can't tell you. I'm just. I'm a lonely person, and I wanted to just hang out. Just hang out. Yes. A lonely person who just wants to hang out. Now, if Chicky Girl was 24 and not 14, you could almost buy into that as an excuse. But wrong is wrong, and if somebody put this much thought into the grooming, the visit, the alibi, and we'll get into this alibi letter in just a few minutes here. It defies logic in my mind that there wouldn't have been some sort of sexual liaison had the girl been willing. And what did you talk about in this chat you had with her? She says, I like making my guy happy. You say, I like to please also. All right, I do. Not necessarily in a sexual way. But you see how that looked. She said, should I wear thong panties? You say, I like surprises. Which I do. Inappropriate. No no question inappropriate on my part. To have a conversation and entertain and, and come over here is... Beyond inappropriate. Beyond inappropriate. In fact, it's illegal. And we'll get into that in a moment. If what you've heard shocks you so far, join us back in a moment. But then he says something I have never heard before. In 18 years of investigating predators... He asks me calmly as he's sitting at the bar across from me in the basement of the house in Greenville, Ohio, if he can have me read something. And I'm thinking to myself, what could this possibly be? Did he have some laws cited someplace? And he goes on to explain that he put together a letter and that it's in his car. And now this goes to my central theory about interviewing these guys. And that is, that you know, I want to understand what the hell is going on in their minds. I want to continue this conversation as long as I can to find out what makes them do this. And by getting that information and getting into details with the predator... We can understand predators and perhaps protect somebody from becoming a victim. So I've got nothing but time, typically, in these interviews. 
I want to dig as deeply as possible. Anybody can come out of a back room, scare somebody, and create 10 seconds of dramatic video. My job is to get into his head. And so when he says he's got something in his car, a letter, and I'll let him explain it here in a second, I say, can I have somebody go out and get it? Give me the keys. And that's exactly what happens. So Dell of Perverted Justice comes by, grabs the keys, goes out to the car, and all the while the other Perverted Justice contributors, Frag and everybody else, are trying to keep in contact with the police so they know what's going on, and gets this letter from the passenger front seat of his car and brings it in. Now, I've got a choice at this point. Do I read the letter out loud? I'm thinking, what is the best way to go here? So I decide to have him read it. And he does. And this is the letter you're talking about. Why don't you read it to me? At 8 p.m. tonight, I'm meeting a person whom I met online who claims to be a 14-year-old girl. I have no intention of supplying this person with alcohol, having sex, or doing any other improper, unlawful conduct with this person. If she really is who she says she is, my intention is to befriend her and try to mentor her. Her parents should be should also be aware of her behavior and possibly get her counseling. So you're here to mentor this girl? I, that, to counselor? To, to me, no. So I'm still a little bit confused. I mean, I get why you wrote the letter, I think. Right. Just in case you walked into a bad situation and you got hurt. Right. Right. For my own safety. Right? For your own safety. Right. I wanted to be there to be uh, a record of that someone could go to to get information from. But I guess at the end of the day, I just really wonder why you'd even come over here in the first place if you were so concerned. Why not just blow it off? Call uh, the police and say, hey, look, there's a girl right. home alone. And I you may want to go check I on her. Don't you think that would have been the but, better thing to do? But that I consider, I honestly did consider that. A lot of conflicting information here. Now he says, and he looks at me earnestly when he says this, and somewhat convincingly, I suppose, that he was just there to mentor the girl. Well, the problem with that is there were a a dozen different ways to report this to the authorities. And when you think of the methodical way he went about this, During that phone conversation I referenced earlier, he actually asks the girl, the decoy, if her father is in construction. And the reason he asks that question is because the man who actually owned the home we used for the Stinghouse was a contractor. And he had recently built that home. And he was able to, John Francois, was able to research this address and find out it was attached to a construction firm, a contractor. So he goes through all this, and remember that John France is an educated guy, right? He's an engineer. He helps design assembly lines for a company. And we'll get into that in a moment as well. So he's methodical about all this. There has been sexually charged banter. There has been talk of what the girl would wear. Jeans, khakis, 
low-rise, underwear, thong. Talk about relationships. Are you into older guys? You can't convince me that this was going to end in any other way than statutory rape. Had the girl been willing. And John put a lot of thought into this. At this point, I've asked John just about every question I can think of and elicited as many details as I thought I could. So it's time to tell him exactly what he's walked into. And he didn't act like he knew who I was, except that there were a couple different possibilities. The mad dad, the cop, or me, I suppose. But he says he has seen Dateline before, but not necessarily the stories on predators. And as I explain it, he stays very calm. He doesn't get agitated. It's I can't decide, honestly, looking back at this, and it was surreal in real time, whether or not he was being somewhat sincere or whether he was just so methodical. You know, such a danger for that reason. Do you ever watch TV? I do. Do you ever watch Dateline NBC? I have before, I think. Have you ever seen one of our stories on computer predators? I don't think so, no. I'm Chris Hansen with Dateline NBC. We're doing a story on adults who try to meet and then hook up with kids on the internet. And this is one of those stories. Okay. If you, if there's anything else you want to tell us, we'd be happy to hear it. If not, you're obviously free to go. No, I don't have anything further to add. I think that pretty much covers it all. And I'm ashamed. And the last thing he says to me, you heard it. I'm ashamed. He knows what he did was wrong. He knows what his intent was. And I think the letter was probably more intended to protect him in case he walked into a situation where guys were pretending to be a 14-year-old girl and, and they were going to beat him up or something. And this, this has happened. Either way, it's frightening. And it goes to the mindset of a predator. He leaves, and obviously the sheriff's department's been, you know, monitoring this as best as it can. And he walks out, and he doesn't run. He doesn't, you know, resist arrest. It's 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 very calm and again surreal. Sorry. All right. At this time, we just want to talk to you and talk about some things that occurred here tonight. Why did you write a letter and leave in your truck? Because to try to cover yourself. I didn't. Because you knew you messed up. You knew why you were going there. And you wanted to help yourself out if you got caught. Later, I went back and uh, talked to Sergeant Mike Burns at the Dark County Sheriff's Office. and, And he laid it out pretty clearly. You know, as much as he wanted to use the letter as a defense, it actually speaks to his premeditated act and good evidence in court. What was this guy up to? Well, we refer to it at the office as an alibi letter. Alibi letter? Yeah. It was composed in such a way that it's our belief that he put it there, that if he should get caught, made it 
appeared that he was completely innocent. A lot of premeditation there in my book. John France was sentenced to 30 days in jail, followed by 30 days of house arrest. 10 years of registration as a sexually oriented offender with 36 months of monitoring probation, 40 hours of community service. And if he violated the terms of his probation in any way, drugs, alcohol, unsupervised contact with children, if he didn't complete a sex offender treatment program, he would face 12 months in prison. Now, he had to pay for all of this. One of the reasons the judge said at the time that he got a lighter sentence than some of the other predators I caught in Ohio is because in a pre-sentencing report, a psychiatrist said that he felt John France could be rehabilitated. And now, literally... Some 16 years later, there is no record of France getting into trouble again. In fact, as far as we can tell, and I've researched this pretty thoroughly, France has a good job. As I mentioned, he's an engineer and uh, he lives a quiet life. I reached out to John France to see if he would talk to me. John France. It's not available. Please record your message at the tone. To speak to an operator, press zero now. When you are finished, you may hang up. Hey, John, it's Chris Hansen. If you could give me a call back at your convenience, thanks so much. So far, he has not gotten back, but maybe he will. And I think it would be interesting to have him on the show and talk about his experience. And maybe he is one of those guys who was scared straight rehabilitated and will never offend again but I'd like to know from John I'll keep you posted as you know I like to hear from you and this week's question comes from Sonny who is a chef in Baltimore Maryland hi Chris this is Sonny from Baltimore Maryland wanted to start by saying Thank you so much for all the work that you do. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the show. I've been listening since I was in seventh grade in 2006. I started watching uh, all of the To Catch a Predator stories, uh, and it was really eye-opening for me, and I feel like that's one of the reasons I never really got into online chats, and I I thank you for it, because who knows what could have happened uh, if I decided to go through with that. Love all your new stuff. Just want to say keep up the good work. And uh, I was wondering if you could answer a little bit of a strange question. My job currently is uh, I'm, I'm a chef in a restaurant. I've always been a foodie my entire life. And these are just some of the weird things that I think of when I watch shows like To Catch a Predator or Have a Seat with Chris Hansen. There are numerous times when a potential predator will bring snacks and drinks and, you know, non-alcoholic drinks and alcoholic drinks. Um, You know, Snapple, we saw Jeff Sokol with the pizza. My question to you was, was there ever a time that you guys as a crew would 
just take the snacks and have them? Or did you guys have a sort of catering system set up, you know, during these operations that could last, you know, 10, 12 hours at a time? Obviously, I know that uh, the food that the predators bring is, is clear intent and can be used as, you know, evidence. Um, but, you know, for with the example of uh, John Dupee, you know, he brought that big thing of Snapple. And I feel like if I was on your team after Dupee was no longer a threat and he left the house, uh, I might try to crack open that Snapple and, and enjoy a little bit of iced tea. Um, but, you know, these are the things I think of as a chef. Um, you know, did you guys have, you know, some guy run out and, and grab sandwiches for dinner? Did you guys get delivery? Was stuff catered? Um, just some weird things I think about while uh, watching your shows. Wanted to say keep up the great work and uh, really enjoying the podcast. In fact, you could say it's honestly the cleanest, best pleasure on Spotify right now. Take care and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Sonny, for that extremely well thought out question. I'm glad that the Predator Investigations helped keep you safe as a child. I'm glad you continue to watch my work today. That makes me feel great. Please know that there is much more to come, especially when we launch our crime streaming service, True Blue, this fall. We're out there shooting right now. In terms of food, that's an excellent question, and I have a funny story to share with you, Sonny. We do generally have food in the house that can be warmed up and eaten because, as you mentioned, sometimes we're in a lockdown situation for 8, 10, 12 hours. And it's important that we're not coming and going. You know, once we're in, we're in. It's a live investigation, a lot of moving parts, not just television, but law enforcement as well. But there have been some occasions where the crew, I don't know, Entitled is kind of a strong word, but the expectation of food inside the house rose to a level where mm, maybe it didn't need to be. And we're in Fairfield, Connecticut, and we're waiting for a guy to show up. And in fact, we think he's walking around the perimeter of the house looking to see if anything suspicious is going on. And at that moment, one of the sound guys is warming up his roast beef. And I'm like, dude, there's a guy walking. He goes, yeah, I know, but I don't like it cold. I said, well, they, we're not here for a picnic. We're here for a predator investigation. <laughs> we all kind of looked at each other and laughed. And I said, you can have your warm sandwich later. Let's just nibble on something that's doesn't require a microwave. Let's keep focused on our job here. But generally, the crew does keep focused. Now, in terms of the predator bringing food or beverage, no, we don't. We don't partake. I have had Planet Pizza before, but not from Jeff Sokol. It's evidence, as you mentioned, and mm, I just wouldn't feel comfortable, even if it was sealed. Sonny, thank you for your great question. As always, you can reach me with your questions. I look at them all. Or if you have any other thoughts or ideas, you can reach me, as I mentioned, at chris at predatorpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram, official Chris Hansen, Twitter at Chris Hansen, Facebook, Cameo, and soon, True Blue. You can follow the 
progress there at watchtrueblue.com. I'll be watching and listening.